Hey, podcast family. Welcome to Motherhood in Black and White. I'm Kanji. I'm Tara. We're going to be talking about mom shaming this week. So mom shaming refers to kind of the act of shaming a mother's decisions Mm -hmm. and decisions that each of us make at some point during our motherhood journey. We have either been criticized for or I think what's even worse is the self-criticism. The self-criticism is where I suffer. Yes. Yeah. And, And when we talk about mom shaming, it is the act of making assumptions or making judgments about the decisions that another mother makes in her journey. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Tara, before we talk about the Mm self-shame, which will probably take up most of this episode, let's talk a little bit about why you think moms in general kind of, quote unquote, shame one another and why it's so prevalent right now. Oh, I think that... The mom shame often comes from this idea of an ideal parenting story, right? That your kids have to look a certain way, know certain things, get to certain places by a certain time. And that if it doesn't look like that, then it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I personally believe that a lot of times when people are projecting shame and judgment onto others it's because they have internal shame and judgment like I know I've seen that in myself and I think sometimes that happens so it's probably a little bit of both right I think some people do think it's supposed to look a certain way and if it doesn't then they have judgment but I also think sometimes when people have that internal judgment they reflect it out oh yeah you know right and I think that because of the fact that a lot of us are parenting on social media, yeah, you see it's a lot more prevalent. Yes. Right? Does that make sense? No, that's a great point. Um, that is a great point. And it starts really early on, right? Mm-hmm. I think um, for me, I experienced mom shame when I was in my third trimester carrying my son, Roman. So this would have been in 2008. And I was at a restaurant and everyone around me was having wine. So there was a wine glass in front of me. And I saw the table of women next to me just... Like kind of clutching their pearls and rolling their eyes. Right. So it was like, do you criticize? So I realized like, oh, whatever I do, I'm going to be judged for Yes, yes, that's true. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was probably within that week, I had gone out to a sushi restaurant Mm -hmm. and I saw people looking at me like before I even ordered. And And I'm thinking... Are they going to judge whether or not I have raw fish? (laughs) You want to yell at them. I'm in my third trimester. You can't mess it up at this point. (laughs) I can mess it up after he's born. That's right. Right now we're good. (laughs) And I have messed up many things after he's been born. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But I think there are, um, you know, some categories. And we, we talk about the motherhood journey and how there is shame that's associated with decision making that other moms make. Right. And I've always wondered, like, well, why is it even why is it my business or why do I care if a a mother chooses to breastfeed or not mm-hmm. and or b if a mother chooses to be a work from home mom mm-hmm. or a stay at home mom mm-hmm. these are decisions that I've heard in conversations people um talk about have like, opinions on have opinions on other, other people other mothers right, right. right. yeah have, has that has that been your experience as well yeah and I think those are probably two of the big ones that we see debated the most But yes, I have that experience. I am much less, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm having enough trouble making my own decisions to be worried about other people's (laughs) decisions. But I do see it happen a lot. You know, I, I remember, I think one of the biggest outward shames I had was not being able to volunteer at Gage's school as much Mm -hmm. or participate as much because of my job. And, um, 
you know, getting looks about that, like being asked outright, can you be room mom and being like, I'm so sorry, I can't, you know, here's where I can contribute. And not being spoken to by that parent for a while. It was really weird. It's really odd. And I also think that in many instances and circumstances, people come from a genuine place of concern. Yes. Right. And and care. And that might be their rationale behind some of the uh, decisions or opinions that they're sharing with you and with me. Um, But sometimes we have to acknowledge and realize that the tone or the choice of words or even having to voice an opinion in certain ways, it's wrong. It's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we think that these can come from other moms, like in the PTA or in the classroom. It can come from friends, family members who may have a sense of concern, but may inadvertently say something that we are questioning, like, well, why is your child wearing this outfit? Right. 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 Did your child get a bath today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's like, why are you allowing your child to participate in this activity? Right. Yeah. Yes. So let's take a moment and maybe talk for a few moments about times when we have been mom shamed. Mm-hmm. And then, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of this conversation is going to be talking about self-shame. Yes. And kind of why that is. And hoping that some of our stories resonate with our podcast family that are listening in. Absolutely. So when we talk about mom shame, the first thing I think for me um, was, and what I've heard from a lot of other parents is my lack of home cooked meals (laughs) for my family. (laughs) That you don't cook. For the large majority Mm -hmm. of my son's upbringing, he did not have a very um, diverse palate. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't like eating a lot of stuff. And I didn't, I didn't want to fight that fight when yeah. he was younger. And maybe it's it's something that I should have done. But I remember um, there were so- lots of times when I would make him plates and we'd be in public and people were like, you don't have enough green vegetables on his plate. You know? <laughs> yeah, I do know. Like, why, why is there, why are there no green vegetables? I've been, I've been with you for two days and I have not seen this child eat a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Um, or my favorite one on that one is like, uh, when I was, when I was raising my children, I made them. I made them eat at least what you're like, okay. <laughs> and that's their opinion. That's their experience, right. but didn't necessarily need to be mine. I said, well, his pediatrician says he's fine. So we're good. Yeah. He's we're growing. Good. He's healthy. We're solid. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely a healthy child. Yeah. So that's something that I experienced regularly. And I'm curious if that's also something that you experienced. Yeah. The food thing has been tough and it crosses both lines because I have shame about that. Like I, I, I wish I had, I don't know, pushed more or made it more of a priority. And, and Gage was similar. He doesn't. He still doesn't eat a whole lot of different things. We've had some great wins this year where he's tried some new stuff and he's liked it, and that's been great. But you know, I've struggled with nuts, and, and it, it's been more personal on my side because my mother-in-law and I love her dearly, but my mother-in-law is an, a phenomenal cook. My husband has always been one of those people that ate anything and she, you know, would, she would never direct it at me. She would just say things like, oh gosh, you know, when Jason was young, he just ate everything. I just put everything on his plate that I ate and he just ate it. Or she would talk about um, how important it was for her that, you know, Jason ate a lot of stuff and, and I would hear it and I would filter it through the shame I already felt about what he was, you know, Gage was doing. And I would just be like, I know I'm a terrible, mind. you know, I would just have that voice in my head. You so, started making up those stories I in do. your head. I started like, oh, she's right. I'm doing it wrong. I should have done more. And, and, uh, and I, and I still have a little bit of ugh about that. Yeah. You touched on something that really um, kind of 
resonated so deeply with me. It's when I hear statements um, that I internalize, even if they're not necessarily about me, Mm -hmm. if it's criticism in general, if it's something that I feel is is, is is a place of where I need to do better right. or am struggling and haven't really let the world know, mm-hmm. then it hurts and I, it kind of touches that nerve. It does. And again, one of those is with food choice. And like you and your son Gage, Roman has been a picky eater since the day he was born. And sometimes, you know, I wish that I had been a little bit more forceful mm-hmm. in making sure that he had these quote unquote balanced meals and choices. So when people make comments or statements, it really feels as though it's like a dagger right into my soul. Yeah, that you yeah. just add Tara to the end of the statement. Tara. It's, yes. <laughs> my son ate everything, Tara. <laughs> yes. Even when I'm looking at memes, if it's something that I feel is something that I've, I've done or have not done, uh-huh. it's like, oh, you wrote this about me. <laughs> stranger did someone send this to me on purpose it's for me yeah it's like lol just thinking about you kanji yeah <laughs> it's true yeah and, and and you know for me most of the um decisions or the shame comes from the comparison yes we think about children and their development mm-hmm. and where our kids are within their development also then where we were at that age or stage, where our siblings were at that age or stage. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, when Roman started crawling, he was five months and 29 days. I don't know why I remember this. (laughs) It just filed away forever. It was like my source of pride. But um, I was like, yes, he's crawling and posted it all over social media. And then I look at other women, they're like, oh, my my 14 month old isn't walking yet. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, your child's not walking yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those like, well, are, are, are you making sure that they stand up? Are you, mm-hmm. are you or are you carrying them always? Mm-hmm. And it starts to get to that point where we, we think of it as a competition in st- yeah. sorts, right? Does that make sense? Oh, that absolutely makes sense. And I think social media makes it harder. And I think that, you know, sometimes when I think back on some of those things that I was proud of or and not that I shouldn't be proud of them, but some of that's just so out of our control. So, I mean, it's great that he walked at five and have, I think Gage was seven or eight months when he crawled and he walked right before he turned one. And um, I remember right before he turned one, we were at, we were visiting Jason's family and they were bound and determined to get that kid to walk. They were just like, he's got to do it. He's got to do it before he turns one. And I'm like, why does he have to do it? I mean, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And I think at the bottom of that too, is like a concern. Like if he's not meeting these milestones, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we think like um, w- with Roman being potty trained, it was, it was this whole like, oh, they have to be potty trained by two. And if they're not doing this, then what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking to myself and some of the women around me, it's like, I've not seen a 30 year old man <laughs> wearing a diaper. <laughs> yes. So at some point, <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. He's going to do this. Yeah. He's going to be just fine. Yes. yes it's going to yes. click. Yeah. Um, but when it wasn't clicking, there were statements and sentiments that were kind of being thrown around. Me. It's like, oh, you know, your brothers learned how to uh, be potty trained mm-hmm. much before you mm-hmm. or the people, other moms are saying, or in the preschool. Mm-hmm. Oh, the preschool The tough. preschool teachers yes. are like, oh, all the other kids in the class are potty trained. Yeah. It's like, well, that's good for them. Yeah, they even make, I remember Gage started preschool when he was three and he was not potty trained. Is that right? Yes, he was three and he was not potty trained. And we hadn't even attempted it really just because, I don't know, we just didn't know what to do really. And so <laughs> it was like this undertone of almost like, 
if he doesn't get potty trained by dot, 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 he can't come to school. Like there was this undertone of like, we can't handle it if he doesn't get potty trained. Oh, really? Like, what? Yeah, yeah. It felt like that. Oh, It wow. felt like that. Like, oh, oh, I got to get on this. Right. So we have these like milestones <laughs> that our kids are expected to meet and reach. And if they don't, they're ashamed that attaches. Mm-hmm. Now, some of those are artificial, kind of like created by society. And then there are some milestones that our kids are expected to reach. And sometimes when they don't, that deep internalized shame kind of creeps in. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to talk to you about, Tara. (laughs) The internalized shame. From some of the milestones that maybe my child could have and should have reached, but because of, I would say, um, some things that I I probably failed to do as a mother, um, you know, he, he didn't do in that normal course. And that has just created great shame. And for you podcast family, you're going to hear about a couple of these for the very first time. <laughs> oh. This is, I know, I think you might hear about I it. I may hear about it for the first time. Yeah. So milestones. <laughs> milestones. The first milestone that Roman, my son, did not reach is that he was not able to tie his shoes until he was about eight years old. Uh, same. Oh, Gage still hates to tie his shoes. <laughs> right. Same. And the reason for it. And we've talked about this before. Both of us are women that worked outside the home. Mm-hmm. For From the time that Roman was five until he was 11, I worked outside the home at a financial institution and I had to be present at the bank at 8 a.m., mm-hmm. right? So I was kind of, most mornings were rushing out the door to get everything ready. And then when he was in school, exact same thing. Like we need to rush out the door, we're on a schedule. And so when we're teaching kids to do things, Patience is definitely required Mm -hmm. because they're not going to do things as quickly as we do. Right. Um, But we need to start developing and flexing in them that muscle. Like this is how you start to do things. With Roman tying his shoes, I would say that the only creature on earth that kind of did it a little slower than him Mm -hmm. would have been the sloth. (laughs) (laughs) So most mornings I say, come on, buddy, let's put on your shoes and go. It was very slow. Mm hmm and very wrong Mm -hmm. and it got to the point where I was looking at the clock and I felt like we were playing beat the bank or beat the clock yes and it got to a point where so many days I just said hey hey let me just do it we got to get out of here yes right let me do it so we can get out of here and that became the habit and um when it got to a point where he needed to like tie his shoes he would go to school if shoes came untied Sometimes the teachers would be like, oh, we have to get outside for recess or lunch. I'll tie your shoes for mm-hmm. you. Um, and that's what he became accustomed to. And a lot of times I got Velcro shoes. Yes. Because I, as he started getting older. Those Z-straps are, I mean, that's all you needed. Those Skechers <laughs> yeah. Z-straps come in clutch. <laughs> yes. I was like, I just don't want people to really know that you're not good at tying your shoes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that he learned how to do. He's good at doing now, but yeah. again, it's not something that he's great at doing and that he doesn't he doesn't like tying shoes at all. Yeah. Gage either. Gage currently his favorite shoe is the Adidas pull on. There's no laces on that thing. He loves them. He wears them all the time. He he can tie his shoes, but he's still not great at it and yeah. it frustrates him. So that for me is my mom's shame story. Um, one of two. I will share another one. Uh-huh. But thank you for giving me this opportunity and space and grace to, yes. to share something that has kind of always been a source of angst for me and mm-hmm. sadness and kind of like, I just didn't do it right. But I'm learning to let it go. It's like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's all right. There it is. So. We've created the space. Thank you, Ooh, Tara. Safe space. Okay. So what do you have to share with us? So my one of my biggest secret mom shames is that Gage 
Um, so he just learned to ride a bike like a month ago. And when he turned five, my husband and I had it in our minds like, oh, this is the year he's going to learn to tie his shoes and he's going to learn to ride a bike. We were like, those things had to happen when he turned five. And he's had a bike. He's had at least four different bikes. (laughs) And we've tried and it would just never click. And he would get so frustrated about it that we would just be like, okay, just forget it. And we would always talk about it. Like, we need to get out there and do it. We need to learn how to ride a bike. And I don't know. I mean, kids don't go anywhere on bikes as much as they did when we were kids. Well, in this area where we live. Right. So, like, in the city, we'd see kids on bikes, but hardly ever. So, I don't know if this was your experience, but when I was a kid, we lived in the country. That's how we went everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? If you didn't have a bike, you didn't go anywhere. I don't think... Our parents know exactly how many miles yes. we were riding. I mean, t- towns away. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in the city, but mm-hmm. my best friend lived a town over. And um, recently, well, probably 10 years ago, I drove back and I, and I checked the odometer uh-huh. driving how far she lived from me. It was 3.6 miles oh my gosh. from my house to her house. And I was doing that like daily. Uh, yeah, more right. than once. For more than once a day, yeah. starting at age 11. Yeah, we yeah. just lived on those bikes. And so I guess my husband and I both just had this in our mind. Like if a kid can't ride a bike, it says something about that kid. I, it was the weirdest thing. Does it say something about the kid or the parents, Tara? Uh, well, it started out about the kid and then it became about us because we weren't doing anything about it either. <laughs> you know, so it was like it was started out one way and then kind of turned into another and, you know, we would, um, every now and again, it would just come up. We'd be like, oh, we got to teach him how to ride a bike. We got to teach him how to ride a bike. And then what happened is he's in scouts and his troop was working on their cycling badge. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and so he, and and I will tell you what's funny about it is, is we went to that meeting and, um, you know, the scoutmaster's like asking everybody if they have a bike and Gage raised his hand. He's like, I don't know how to ride a bike. Like, no shame. I don't know how to ride a bike. And the scout message was like, that's cool. You know, he just learned, his son just learned to ride a bike last month. He's like, we'll teach you how to ride a bike. Okay, no, but it was like no big deal. And it just totally took all the pressure off of it. And, you know, we took him and we got him on a bike. And the kid at the store where we bought the bike, we went to like an actual bike store. The kid that sold us the bike took him out back and taught him how to ride a bike in like five minutes. How old was this this kid? He was probably like 17. And he taught Gage he how, to taught, ride. He how to ride a bike in like five minutes. Did you and Jason go outside to kind of see what his tricks were and how he did it? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We watched it. I mean, I think some of it is just age. You know, Gage is just bigger. He's got more control of his body and balance. Mm-hmm. Like, I think some of it was that. Um, and I think what we've learned about Gage, and he gets this from his mom, is that he would rather learn from anybody except us. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what it is. And that's totally okay. Like, I just think he would rather be coached or learn something new from anyone except me and his dad. Yeah. That's kind of what we figured out uh, about a bunch of things. Right. As we watched him, he was like listening to that kid. He was digesting the information. He was doing it. He'd never been able to do that with me and Jason. And Mm -hmm. I was like, we should have just done this 10 years ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, what were you thinking? He's never going to learn from us. Right. But it's true. And and what you just said reminds me of a conversation that we had a few episodes ago with uh, Sarah Durham, Mm -hmm. the coach for for kids. And she's also a teacher. And she said, you know, sometimes when you look at getting a coach for your teenagers or um, adolescents, it's because 
they're going to say things and, and learn things from other adults that may not be you or your parent. It's true. Or, or their parent, excuse me. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think we saw it in action. And it's been so much fun because it turns out he loves riding that bike. We kept trying to tell him he was going to love it. And he just, I mean, whatever we say, he just can't hear it. And that's okay. It's part of the fun of being a kid and a parent, you know. But it's been fun to watch him. He loves to ride it. I, I, we've been letting him go on his own a little bit around the neighborhood. And so it's been really cool. But I mean, for a really long time, I would just, people will talk about their kids on their bikes. Oh, yeah, take off on his bike. And I would just cower in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I just hated it. Well, I'm glad that you um, were able to no, not cower any longer and be vulnerable and kind of share that story with us because you aren't the only person whose 11 year old doesn't know how to ride a bike. When I was in my 20s. I was living in New York City and one of my um, work, my teammates shared with me that she didn't know how to ride a bike. And I said, I actually have a couple bikes. Why don't you come out to my neighborhood and I'll teach you how. So I was probably late 20s and she was a couple of years younger than me and I taught her how to ride a bike. I love that. Yeah. I so love had, that. had I known, I would have taught Gage years ago, girl. I wish, you, I wish I had told you. I would have had you come over. He would have listened to you. <laughs> he probably would have. I would the, the bike whisperer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Which, you know, because I taught you how to ride a bike. <laughs> you did. You taught me how to ride a bike uh, in place. In place. That's going right. nowhere. Which is a very specific skill, by the way. Let's be clear. That is not like riding a bike on the street. <laughs> I know. And I'd be like, what is it that you do? I just teach moms and sons how to ride bikes. That's no, right. no, no, no. But um, when we think about the other thing, and we talk about mom sharing, a lot of it is about sharing stories that might not necessarily align with yours or mm -hmm. your beliefs, mm -hmm. but being able to listen to another mother share that story without... Um, without fear of being judged and without fear of um, any sort of backlash that so attaches important. to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so many times when we do have this sense of shame around us, we don't um, reveal something that is happening with our, our either our, our, our motherhood journey or with our kids because we are afraid of people's opinions of what we're doing. So the other story I wanted to share with you before we end is um, it's bed sharing. Our son, Roman, he kind of shared the bed with me um, until he was like 10 or 11. Now, I will say that my husband would sleep in a different bed because mm. of snoring issues. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that on another show. <laughs> um, so Roman, you know, he was sharing the bed and it was comfortable and it was comforting until he was about 10 or 11 or so. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, girl, you need to get that boy in his own bed. You need to get him in his own bed, which is OK. Yeah. And he's not going to be 30 years old. He's not going to be 18. He's not going to be 16 sleeping sharing, in the bed sleeping with, in the bed with right, me. Right, right. Right. So for me, it's like at this point, it makes sense for us and what we're doing and the sense of comfort that he needs. Mm -hmm. Let him go ahead. It was a king size bed. I was wearing my pajamas. He was wearing his pajamas. It was all good. He had like seven pillows that he took <laughs> with him everywhere. And he still to this day takes with him everywhere. Really? Yeah. When we travel, he has like a whole collection of pillows he has to just <laughs> traipse with. It's like we have a suitcase that's just filled with Roman's pillows. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. So, so that's it. And I think there is like um, the shame that's attached to that is like, oh, if you are either co-sleeping with an infant or bed sharing with a small child or a toddler or even, um, you know, an elementary school kid, mm -hmm. people sometimes like, oh, really? And there is that um, sense of judgment that I felt um, and I wasn't really able to share much with people. Yeah. I don't think I knew that about, I didn't. I don't think I knew you guys bed shared until he was older. Um, did you get that more from your family or did you get it from other parents too, like in your group? Well, I didn't share it much with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So mostly my family. Okay. Mostly and that family. made you feel like you probably shouldn't share it with other people. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that. I think that there has been a lot of conversation about bed sharing and co-sleeping. I think a lot of the studies prove that 
kids that share beds with their parents longer or their families longer, I mean, they grow up really well adjusted and attached and they feel confident in themselves. I just, I hate that we do that to each other. Like we put these limits on what's, what's okay and not okay. Right. I hate that. Yeah. I love the fact that I'm able to share that yeah. now. And I hope that other mothers, if that's something that you you feel that you're silently being judged about, or if you are actually being judged about, you kind of just stand in your truth yeah. and be vulnerable with it and, and kind of just move forward. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things about shame is that um, the only thing that for me, I'll just say for me, the only thing for me that removes shame or helps kind of eliminate it is saying it out loud, yeah. shi- shining light on it. I really think that's the only thing that's been helpful to me is to say it out loud and have somebody say back to me like, you know, no judgment. You do you, or I've did the exact same thing, or I, I still love you just the same. There's no, there's no shame. Oh, I love that, and you, that's kind of how you live your life, and I appreciate that. But you know, because we, we can't ever really fully shame-proof ourselves. It's true. But what we can do is just have strategies to become more resilient. And what you said is a great strategy. It's just speak out, speak out, and be truthful and be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, do you have one final story to share with us? Do you have one final story? You know, we've talked about this a little bit, um, but I don't know. I mean, we talked about it around it in different ways. So, you know, I've shared in the past that when Gage was young, I got him into a ton of activities at one point. Like he was in a bunch, right? And um, probably too many. I had overcorrected from my own what I saw as a lack in my own childhood, and we pulled him out of a bunch of stuff. And I think for a while I had a shame about the fact that Gage didn't have like a passion, you know, mm-hmm. like I would meet these other parents and their kids would be like super into soccer and just going to be like the next soccer star or the or baseball or um, or math or, you know, there's like it felt like everybody's kids were picking something up really early and that was like their thing. And I had a lot of shame about if I wasn't pushing Gage enough or keeping him in things long enough for him to get attached to something. I just had shame about the fact that Gage was pretty laid back and easygoing and not really like uh, into one thing, really good at one thing. I felt like it meant something about me, like I wasn't making that a priority for him. And I think I've kind of come around on that, especially as he's gotten older and I've seen that you know, I I think I like that he's pretty well-rounded and he's he's just kind of into what he's into when he's into it. Like, I really yeah. love that about him. Um, but for a long time, for several years there, when he was between maybe like six and 10, I just really struggled with it. And I, I think my putting him into a bunch of activities and like trying things out all the time was me trying to like make him get into something, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and that was hard for me. Like, I don't, and I don't know where that came from. I think it just came from everybody around us doing that. And I think maybe like a little bit of like when I was a kid, I wish somebody had pushed me into something a little bit or kept me in something. So I I think it was a combo of things. But um, I struggled with that for a really long time. I feel like I'm over it now because I can see now as as he's getting older, you know, he's kind of he's kind of into a lot of different things. And I love that. Yeah, he's a well-rounded kid and he's such a great kid. So thank you. You and your husband have done a lot of things right. And I think it just took him a while to discover and find his passion, which is clearly bike riding. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) It just took you a while to get around to giving it to him. He learned it when he learned it. When he needed to learn it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Clearly it's YouTube. (laughs) YouTube is his passion. (laughs) That, my friend, is a conversation for another day. 100%. Um, One of our favorite humans, and definitely one of your favorite humans, Mm -hmm. Tara, uh, Brene Brown, wrote that, 
If we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, then shame can't survive. Mm -hmm. And so often we hide behind walls of shame. And I would just encourage and empower any mother who's listening who may feel mom shame, either from within or from expectations from those around her to um, just pause and to realize that you are worthy and shame can't survive when you can just open your heart, open your mouth, open your mind and move forward in faith and love. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I'm, and I'm glad we ended with Brene Brown. That's the perfect shame ending. Uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. Make sure that you're following us on all of our listening platforms so you don't miss any new episodes. And go back and give that episode with Sarah Durham a listen. We really enjoyed that conversation. And she has a lot of great things to say about coaching our kids as they get into their teens and finding them the right support. Um, you can also come join us over on Instagram at, at Black and White Momcast. We love having you each week and look forward to seeing you again next week. Absolutely. And pop into our DMs. Reach out. Just let us know how you're doing on your motherhood journey. And if you ever need any words of encouragement, um, you can always reach out to us or just hear our hearts when we say we're rooting for you. So with that being said, Tara and I will be back next week. Same time, same place. Take good care.